Scripture from Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today we come to the crux of salvation history. We've been tracking this large story of the Bible from the beginning to the end. This fall, this this problem of sin, not the bad things that we do, but that we are separate from God, that we have broken relationship with God. And God is has been unfolding this plan of of how he's going to save his people first through Abraham and a family and then through Joseph and the tribes and then eventually through a nation of Israel. But all along, the sin problem persists. God is working his plan, but humanity keeps messing it up so that the nation falls apart and they end up in exile. So the question remains, how is God going to fix this problem? Well, then we turn the page to the new chapter to the New Testament and we get the story of Jesus. This one who is the Messiah, the hopes of all of those Old Testament stories, the one who would answer that question. He was fully God and fully human and he lived this amazing life hanging out with all kinds of cool people doing miracles and healings and uh, relating to, uh, to the sinners and the outcasts and teaching people how to live differently. But yeah, the whole time, there's still this lingering question of the story. There's still a question of, of how is this going to work? How is Jesus going to save everybody? How is humanity going to be saved? One perfect person can't make everybody else perfect just by existing. So the story comes to a head as this man, Jesus, is uh, upsetting people, upsetting the authorities of his day, the religious elite. And the way he's going to do this isn't the way they're expecting, the the way of power and the way of authority. No, it's going to be the way of submission, pain, and death. He starts out this, this very special week riding into Jerusalem for Passover with many other travelers on a Palm Sunday. And people cry out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They cry out to him 
as a savior, as one who comes in the name of the Lord. But as the week unfolds, Jesus doesn't do what they expect him to do. He challenges the authorities. On Monday, he turns over the money changers' tables. Um, This would have been a big deal because everyone's counting their money and maybe being dishonest. And if all the tables are overturned, all the money is piled together on the floor. Then on Tuesday, he does a lot of teaching about the Pharisees and how they're hypocrites, uh, how they are whitewashed walls. Woe to you, hypocrites, he says. He's picking a fight, you understand? And as the week unfolds, he then celebrates the Passover with his disciples. Passover was this amazing celebration of the people's freedom from Egypt. The recognition that we are God's chosen people and that God will give us exodus. And that's what the people want, exodus, political exodus from Rome. But that is not what Jesus brings to them. As he goes through the evening, he, he talks to his disciples who, who ha- are going to betray him and going to deny him and, and tries to show them, this is my body that was broken this cup that's poured out that represents the blood of the Passover lamb, that's, that's my blood. He knows what is coming. But the disciples don't see it. That evening after they sing a hymn and after they have a celebration together, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane at the base of the Mount of Olives to pray and to prepare for what is coming the next day. He knows what's coming. He sweats drops of blood in the anxiety and the worry of knowing the pain and agony he's going to have the next day. And at this moment, you have to understand, all he has to do is go up the Mount of Olives and around the mountain, and he could be in the Judean wilderness. Jesus could leave. He could disappear, and they would never find him. He's been picking this fight, and he sticks around going to the cross. While he's in the garden, Judas comes with uh, some soldiers and he betrays Jesus with a kiss. Jesus is arrested. He's put on trial all night before Jewish leadership who were allowed to punish. Caiaphas had a prison in his own home. They were supposed to punish their own Jewish law, but what they weren't allowed to do was kill anyone. They weren't allowed execution. Only the Romans were allowed to do that final form of punishment. But for the Pharisees and the scribes and the priests, they feel like they've got to get rid of this Jesus guy. So in the morning, they go to Pilate. Pilate sends them to Herod and then back to Pilate. And Jesus is crucified. He's beaten. He's whipped with a cat of nine tails. He's taunted. A crown of thorns is pressed into his skull. And then he is forced to carry his cross outside of the city where he is nailed to it to be hung until he suffocates to death. When he he dies, he dies about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, Again, this is Friday. Friday Evening is the beginning of Shabbat, the beginning of the Sabbath. So this is a problem. How do they take care of Jesus' body? They don't have enough time. You see, it's 3 o'clock. 
Normally by five or six, all Jews tried to be home to make sure they weren't working and they weren't out and about on the Sabbath. But Joseph of Arimathea, an important member of the Sanhedrin, has nearby in this garden a tomb that's fresh cut. Nobody has ever been in this tomb. And so they take Jesus there and Joseph cleans him up, wraps him in linen with some ointment uh, and some spices, and then they put his body into the tomb for Shabbat, for Sabbath. And the plan is to then come back the first chance they get, which would have been Sunday morning, the first day of the week, to finish taking care of the body. You can imagine how dark that Saturday was as the disciples, as the women that traveled with Jesus, all wept and cried and were in total shock. You can imagine them. Maybe you've been through a morning like this where you cry till you have no more tears. Your eyes get all puffy. Everything seems a blur. You just sort of sit in a fog. So you can imagine when Mary Magdalene and this other Mary get up on the Sunday morning, the first day of the week, to go take care of the body of Jesus that they're in this fog. It's early in the morning when they leave, and then they're going through all this morning. And then what Matthew tells us is, is crazy to think about. As they're approaching the tomb, there's an earthquake. And an angel comes and rolls away the stone. And the Pharisees and the scribes and the priests had made sure that the Romans put guards in front of that tomb. Because they remember Jesus saying something about being risen on the third day. And they didn't want anybody to be able to steal his body So there's all these Roman guards that totally freak out. They freeze in the panic of this moment. And the angel says to those women who came to the tomb, Come see, Jesus is not here. He has risen like he said. Go tell the disciples. So they peer into the tomb and then they get ready to leave. And then Matthew says it almost humorously. Like they almost bump into Jesus. Like they almost run into him as they're going back to tell the disciples. And Jesus doesn't say anything super profound either. In Matthew's gospel, he just says, greetings. As if this is what he was supposed to be doing after they had watched him die. They worship at his feet and then he tells them to go tell the disciples to go to Galilee where I'm going to meet them. After this whole thing happens, uh, those soldiers eventually get up the courage to go back and say what they saw. And they are bribed, bribed by the authorities to lie about what happened. Because the Pharisees, the scribes, they're scared. They're scared of this Easter morning story. Because if Jesus is alive, then he's not in the tomb anymore. Then he fulfilled his promises. You see, the cross had to happen because sin had wages, and the wages of that sin was death. So for everyone to be saved, someone had to die and pay that price. But if Jesus stays dead, then death just claims another soul. 
Death just claims, sin just claims another victory. But if he's risen, then it's all true. Then he is the Messiah. Then he is the Savior. Then he is the one that the prophets talked about. Then he is the king that David was promised would reign forever. Then he is the good and faithful judge. That he is the new and better Moses, the great sacrifice. Then he is all of those things. He is the answer to the promises of Abraham that he would be a blessing to all nations. Then he is the one that was, it was told in the garden that the serpent would strike his heel, but he would crush his head. And the Pharisees and scribes are terrified that this Jesus could be that one. And more than that, the Pharisees and the scribes are terrified of his followers. If Jesus is alive, if this story is real, what does that say about the followers of Jesus? How bold would they be? How creative? How passionate? How fearless would those disciples be? Pharisees are terrified of what those disciples, what those followers might do. Who they could become and how they would be a threat to the system But you understand, that's us. That's who we are. We are the followers. We are the disciples now. And because Christ is risen, we should be unafraid, bold, strong, loving and caring, questioning systems that don't work for everybody. We are the ones the Pharisees worry about. Do you have that kind of boldness, that kind of fearlessness? Wherever there are places where you feel buried, wherever there are places where you feel like you're in a tomb, where you are not alive, I want to remind you of the resurrection of Jesus. Wherever there are dead parts of your heart, wherever you are trembling in fear, remember the resurrection of Christ. Because we are Easter people. We are resurrection people. We are people who don't stay dead, but who come to life and to bring life to others. That is our call as Easter people. May we all be those kind of disciples this Easter. May we have some courage in difficult times. And may we bring light to others. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for Easter. Lord, for this resurrection moment. And I pray resurrection would come to each of us. That we would be the bold servants that the religious elite of Jesus' day were worried about. Ones that know who you are, who believe what you have done, and who live it out. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Christ is risen He is risen indeed. Christ is risen. 
he is risen indeed. Go and live that truth. Amen.